The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. So thrilled to be here with you this morning live. Today is Wednesday. It is June something. What is the date? It's the 14th. Oh my goodness. We're already in mid-June. How did that happen? So excited and thrilled to be here with you this morning. We've got an amazing show planned for you. In just a second, we're going to do jargon of the day. It's a good one. Trust me, one you're going to want to know and it will help you to understand a whole bunch of things. Then we've got a couple of news stories that I promise are going to shed some light on some things for you. Then we have a couple of interviews that we've been saving, that we've been banking. You're going to see an interview that we did it was just a few days ago with Angie Harrington. Do you know who she is? She is one of the moms featured on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So Angie and I ha- sat down uh, just a few days ago and had a talk because she's been in the news. People Magazine did a whole expose on her and her family because her five-year-old was recently diagnosed with autism. And because of that, she decided to leave the show and to focus on helping her son. Can't have more respect for that, right, uh, than, than that for that. So uh, she's a really inspirational woman. I so enjoyed talking with her. We're going to share that with you in a few minutes. And then we've got another amazing interview with a mom who's a clinician and who got frustrated like I always do with the jargon and said somebody needs to put out a dictionary and she looked around and went nobody else is doing it so she did it she put out a dictionary very similar to what we do here jargon of the day that she puts it in layman's terms she doesn't do the part where we make fun of it you know because you know it's hard to do that in a book but I have so much respect for her and it's it's a thing that we all need to have on our bookcases um, her book So we'll be talking with her as well. And of course, we'll be taking your questions in between those interviews live. We are live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and a bunch of other sites. Our fabulous Traven will start showing you what some of those sites are right there. Remember that once the show airs live, we always podcast it. It's available on all podcast uh, markets as a free download. We're very thrilled to be able to do that is the audio portion of the show. If you ever want to check out the video portion, because, you know, (laughs) look, I do have a face for radio and podcast, but if you want to see the wonderful graphics that Traven does and see our beautiful guests, then I encourage you to check out the show. The, The whole show is available on YouTube, and we also will cut out highlight reels Uh, to be available to be watched on YouTube. So check that out as well. It's free to you wherever you watch it, which I'm very proud to say. Uh, And that is because it's important to us that you get free information. You know, our whole mission here is to provide information and inspiration. And for me, that should not come at at a cost. However, it does cost us to be able to bring this show to you. So you will see that when you are listening to the podcast, that there will be ads that will run. You will see that there will be ads that are on YouTube 
YouTube. That is so that we do not have to have a subscription only base um, and charge all of you for the information. So please be kind and check out our uh, the people who are sponsoring us. Um, live through the ads, you know what I mean, so that we can continue to be on the air. But we also ask that you like and share. We don't have a big budget to market our show. We've been on the air for 13 years. So we keep trudging along and finding a bigger audience. But if you'll help us, we can get more. Somebody wrote in and asked that yesterday. He said, this show has helped me so much. How can I help the show? I'll be honest with you. Uh, there are a bunch of different ways. Liking, sharing, letting other people know helps us exponentially. Um, and reviewing us on iTunes is also a thing that you can do. That helps us a lot to get to more people. Uh, there's something about the algorithm. The more reviews we have, the higher we are up and people discover us. So we appreciate that. And if you know somebody who would like to sponsor a segment or a show, uh, they're a business that would like to be aligned with us, please let us know because we're always looking for sponsors because I'm really set on my way. And we also have a Patreon too. If you want to give us a donation to keep the lights on, we'll take it. <laughs> we, won't t- well, we won't tell you no. Um, but we do feel that there are those of you out there, I was certainly this way when my son was diagnosed with autism, where I couldn't have afforded uh, to pay $5 to listen to a podcast. We, for those of you who can afford a small fee, we are going to be coming out with an ad-free version because some of you have said, look, you know, I'd rather pay than... And in that case, we'll make it possible for you, but we still want to make sure that information is free to people who don't have that in the couch cushions. You know what I'm saying. Uh, by the way, if you're watching for the first time and don't know me, I'm Shannon Penrod. I'm a proud pony. That is a parent of a neurodiverse individual. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and he just turned 20 last week and is amazing. He's in college and uh, on the dean's list. You know, you just can't do better than that. And he's the light and love of my life. I wouldn't change a hair on his head. And I want to be a good ally and a good accomplice always to the autism community. This show we, t- we talk about is for the whole autism community. That, of course, starts with individuals who are themselves on the spectrum with whatever words they choose to describe that, right? Because it's not one size fits all, right? So it starts with them. They are the beating heart of our community. But we also include everyone who loves those individuals in our community here for the purpose of this show. So that's a much broader group. And I always like to say that you know, we don't always get it right as people who love individuals on the spectrum. I love and respect my friends and family members who are on the spectrum who will happily tell me when I get it wrong. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. As long as I get to be a student and sit in the front row uh, to learn how to be the best ally, I'm all good. I don't have to be right all the time. And I love learning. Learning is a good thing. So, uh, you know what I always say here? We hold hands. We get there together. So if you're joining us, you can write in right now, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. I have the ability to see it here on the screen. I know we haven't been doing a lot of live shows lately because I always take time off at the beginning of June to celebrate my son. Um, but we're back. We're on a summer schedule, so you're going to see less live shows for the next couple of months as we recoup and catch up and whatever. But, you you know, we are doing live shows. So uh, I think our goal for the summer is to make sure we're doing two live shows every week and then one recorded. Um, you know, in some weeks that won't be possible because they're short weeks, right? 
like I will tell you that we aren't doing a show on Monday because it's June t- Juneteenth. So uh, we will not be here in commemoration of that day. So, but we will be here on Tuesday and Wednesday. So there you go, you know. Um, Anyway, let's get started with, now that we've taken care of all the other business, I also like to say too that if you're joining, we feature a lot of autism experts on this show. I mean, really, in the last 13 years, a lot. By no means all. Uh, We try to get in a wide variety of people um, in here, but I'm not one of the experts. As I said, I'm a pony and I am learning. I feel that I, having interviewed experts for, because I had a radio show before where I was interviewing experts, having interviewed people for well over 15 years, I would say, I, I, you know, people go, well, aren't you an expert yet? And I go, no, I have an informed opinion. <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean it's an informed opinion. It's not an expert opinion. Anyway, uh, so, but because I'm not an expert, I struggle sometimes with this jargon and Tasha's going to talk about this later, but um, we don't want to. It costs us time and money as as loved ones if we don't understand what the experts are saying. So I made it my mission uh, when we started the show 13 years ago that we would do jargon of the day where we would give you the actual definition, then I would make fun of it because that's the only way I know how to roll, and then I give you a working definition and then I break it down a little bit from there to try to give you an example so that it's actually you for you. If you don't get it the first time that you hear me explain it, please don't beat yourself up about that. Uh, 13 years later, there's some terms that I'm still trying to get a hold on, right? Looked like I was milking a cow there. Uh, But I I just remembered too, I don't want to forget this. We have to say happy birthday to Nava Paskowitz-Asner. It's her birthday today and we love her so dearly. She's been a guest here many times on the show and is amazing running programs over there at... um, the Ed Asner Family Center, just do an amazing job. So happy birthday, Nava. Okay, but back to jargon. I'm like the squirrel thing, right? All over the place. Okay, back to jargon. So we we do this to help you. If you don't get it the first time, don't beat yourself up. You will get it eventually when it makes sense, when you're seeing it in your real life. But let's kick it over to our jargon term for the day, which we teased a second ago. It is a term that you are going to hear in the world of autism, especially if you're talking about ABA. Um, And I love talking about the three-term contingency because... When you understand the three-term contingency and how it is useful, then you understand how ABA can be used in the best possible way, but it also gives you an idea of how people can abuse it. And I think that that's an important discussion to have. So let's take a look at what the actual definition of the three-term contingency is. Three-term contingency in Operant conditioning refers to stimulus control, in particular an antecedent contingency called the discriminative stimulus that influences the strengthening or weakening of behavior through such consequences as reinforcement or punishment. Oh, barf. Like, honestly, if you can make heads or tails of this definition, then you already are working towards your BCBA. You probably are an RBT and, you know, have been working in the field of behavior analysis for at least a year. And any, anybody else is like, well, I might even understand the three-term contingency, but that thing is so deep in jargon. If I don't know what operant condition is, I'm fried. If I don't know what stimulus control is, I'm fried. An antecedent contingency, hello, a discriminative stimulus, woo! Uh, and then we get into consequences as reinforcement or punishment, and that everybody thinks they understand, but it's 
so much gray area and so much room for misunderstanding. Okay, let's take this, crumble it up, and throw it in the ocean and hope that a fish eats it and doesn't get sick. Okay, and let's move on to our working definition so that we can begin to make heads and tails of this sucker here. Okay, the three-term contingency, if we put this in easy terms, it's the ABCs of behavior. That behavior, according to this, is, uh, I'm looking for an extra piece of paper, uh, which I should have brought an extra piece of paper. So ABC is a behavior, A is the antecedent, B is the behavior, and C is the consequence. All right, I'm going to take this piece of paper and then I'll use it later. It's okay, Trayvon, I got it. Um, so uh, I, what I always tell people is if your child is engaging, your, whether your child is seven or your child is 13 or 33, Or maybe it's your husband or, you know, your boss, right? Somebody is engaging in behavior that's making you, like, not like your life. And maybe is potentially putting you in danger, but it's making you miserable, right? Or maybe it's making them miserable. In some way, this behavior is not effective for you. This could be that your child is hitting you. This could be that your child is hitting the dog, right? Um, these are behaviors that we call challenging behaviors because it's creating challenges instead of leading us towards the things that we want in life, both us and the individual. So we start to look at it to see what the three-term contingency is. We are all engaged in three-term contingencies all the time. This is what behavior is. And any behavior that you see, you can break down into these three things. By the way, this is not just human behavior. This is your plants. This is your pets. This is animals in the wild. Behavior If it's somebody, if it's someone or something engaged in behavior, then these three contingencies are happening. Um, so I take my piece of paper and I fold it into thirds. And at the top of the paper, we put an A, a B, and a C. Thus, I know you can't even see it because uh, it's so white. But across the top of the paper, A, B, and C. You can do this on your phone. They have apps for this now, right? And the antecedent is the thing that happened before the behavior, then there was the behavior, and then the consequence. This is a sanity-saving way of looking at behavior because sometimes we feel out of control and we feel like stuff is just happening to us and why is this happening? But if you begin to look at behavior and notice this pattern in the world, it all starts to make sense, right? The behavior is the thing that, when we're talking about a challenging behavior, and by the way, this works for non-challenging behaviors too, but we don't take the time to do it because it's working us towards a goal and we don't need to, you know, analyze it. But um, if it's a challenging behavior, then we want to look at it because what we're trying to figure out is what is the function of the behavior. Behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not random. I marvel at the, at, before I understood this, sometimes I would look and go, I don't understand why I'm doing that. I, I, you know, I constantly fail at this thing and I don't understand why, right? Or I would look at something that somebody else was doing, like a girlfriend that kept dating the wrong guys. You know how we say, oh, they've got a terrible picker, right? <laughs> but if it's a behavior that we, you know, there's a behavior that's happening, but in all behavior, there is something that happens beforehand. We call that the antecedent. And then there is something that happens after the behavior that is the consequence. And 
the rules of behavior, applied behavior analysis, suggest that we will not continue, and there's been tons of studies on this, they've researched the hey nani nani out of this, right? But we won't continue to engage in a behavior unless there is something in the consequence strategy that makes it worthwhile for us, right? Um, And we always think, well, I want to control that behavior, and that's just not effective thinking. Because how are you going to control a behavior? I used to say, um, you know, my son would do this thing where he would kick the chair and my mother would be like, make him stop. And I would, what do you want me to do? Tape him to a wall? Like, like I can't make him stop doing anything that he truly wants to do, right? Even though he was a five-year-old. But what I learned is that we don't have control of behaviors and we should stop thinking that we have control over behaviors. What we do have control over are antecedents and consequences. So in the example of my son kicking the chair, I I used to have to take my mother to doctor's appointments and we would be sitting in the waiting room and I would bring my son with me who had not yet been diagnosed with autism and then eventually was. And my child would sit there and eventually he'd start kicking the chair. And he'd kick the chair until my mother would start losing her mind and she would start at me and he would continue to kick the chair. So let's break it down. What's the three-term contingency? What's the antecedent? What? Because the behavior is that he's kicking the chair in the doctor's office. So what is the antecedent for that? What happened that caused him to kick the chair? Now we can speculate, right? And we can, you know, try and see if this fits. But what I came to see was that what else did he have to do? I mean, he was bored and he needed stimuli. He needed something to do because kids just can't sit in stasis. They get bored like anybody else. Look at any waiting room for any doctor's office and how many people are just sitting there in a Zen state? Somebody's on their phone. Somebody's reading a magazine. Somebody's watching the TV. Somebody's pacing, right? Somebody's bouncing their legs. Somebody's clicking a pen, right? Very few people can just sit and hang out with their thoughts. I know, right? It would be best if we all could, but it's a lot to expect of a five-year-old, right? Or a four-year-old or a three-year-old. So the antecedent was that he got bored. So the behavior was that he would kick the chair. And the consequence was a whole bunch of things. First of all, he's got the stimulus of kicking his legs, so now he's got something to do. But now he sees that grandma is reacting and she's crabbing at mom and mom's crabbing at her. Now I have theater. It's as good as television, right? And so I'm not going to stop kicking the chair because that's what's causing them to create this diversion that I'm happy with. It's very exciting for me. Now, I can say to him, stop kicking the chair, but if he doesn't want to stop kicking the chair, he's not going to stop kicking the chair. And if he has no alternative to make theater and excitement, he's going to keep kicking the chair, right? And even if I start yelling at him, well, that's more theater. It's attention is what it is, right? And what am, eventually, what, what am I going to do? Pick him up and leave the doctor's office to make him stop kicking the chair? Well, now he's not bored anymore either. He escaped the thing that was driving him crazy was the boredom, right? So doesn't that all start to make sense? It wasn't random. It wasn't random that he was kicking the chair. So I don't have control over the behavior. I can't really make him stop kicking the chair, but could I change the antecedent? Could I change the before? Is it possible that I could create an environment in the doctor's office where he wouldn't get bored? 
Oh, my goodness. And when I said to my mother, we have to pack a bag to give him things to do so that he's not bored. And she was like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Um, but it did work. And we saw that his attention span was about a minute, minute and a half at that point. So I had little wind-up toys in this bag, and I would take them out, and he'd play with a wind-up toy. And then when he, when I could tell that he was having, you know, a little bit of boredom, I would take that toy away, put it in the bag, and I would take out another wind-up toy. And he would play with that for a minute and a half, and we would get through the whole thing, and we never got to the behavior. There was no consequence for the behavior because the behavior didn't happen. And my mother got so excited by the fact that, hey, that actually works, that she made him this really cool zipper bag that had like 22 zippers on it so that he could unzip the toy out of each little pocket himself, which was a great skill for him adaptively to learn zippers. And it was very sensory satisfying. And it took a few more seconds so that we were building from being a minute and a half with each toy to being like two and a half minutes with each toy. Brilliant, right? Um, but I also, not only do I have sometimes, not always, control over antecedents, but uh, most of the time I have control over consequences. There are times when I won't have as much control over consequences. But if I had decided he's still going to be bored and I still have to deal with the boredom, but if we gave absolutely no attention to the kicking of the chair, that would be boring too, and then... I'll tell you what would happen. He would go find something else to get us to pay attention to him. Now, it might be a functional thing where he might come over to me and, you know, press on my leg and, you know, give me a kiss and ask for a hug and all of that stuff, maybe. But we're talking about a little boy who was on the spectrum, so he might just as well have swiped magazines off the table to get my attention, right? So what we do in the consequence uh, category sometimes feeds the behavior. If I give attention to negative things where he's seeking attention, then the behavior is going to continue to happen. If I don't feed the fire with attention, that behavior will stop, but he might go and do something else. In this particular incidence, the antecedent modification was the best possible thing to do. If I see that he gets bored and then he engages in the behavior, then I need to make sure that there are plenty of opportunities for him to not be bored. Right, But other times, the consequence strategy is the strongest. But this is the three-term contingency. This is how we use the principles of ABA to the benefit um, by saying, why is the person engaging in this behavior? We don't dismiss the behavior. We don't say it's bad behavior. We say it's causing a challenge. And can we meet the need that they have for the behavior um, in a different way? That's what the three-term contingency is. Um, so thrilled that you guys are here with us and that you, if you have questions about the three-term contingency, please write in and ask. Now, I want to, because we've got these great interviews coming up, I want to move over to our two news stories today, one of which I just crunched up. Um, but we feature a lot of stories from a lot of different outlets, but none more than Spectrum News. If you haven't checked them out, do check them out. Our first story today comes from them, and they did a piece that I found fascinating and really want to encourage all of you to read. It's called Capturing Autism's Sleep Problems with Devices Nearable and Wearable. And uh, I love this. It just came out last week. And this makes so much sense to me, you guys. So many people on the autism spectrum have sleep issues and they're not all the same, which means that they need to be looked at and studied. But 
previously, if you had a child on the spectrum and you said we're having sleep issues, like maybe they're having night terrors or they wake up in the middle of the night or we can't get them to sleep or they're not rested, all these different things, what they would recommend is a sleep study. And we all know what that looks like, right? Where they send you overnight to sleep in a bedroom that is not yours. And they put this cap on your head that's got all these wires and you're wired up with like this cement paste and Vaseline. And and you look like an avatar that you have all these, this cord that's hooked up to this machine. And I'm talking about, this is for everybody, children and adults. And then they say, okay, now go to sleep. And we're going to take data on how long you were in REM and when, you know, how was your breathing when you slept and what was your brain activity when you slept? But I always would say, how am I supposed to sleep in this setting and how good is the data you're getting if I'm not being set up for a good night's sleep? And so researchers have now said this about children on the spectrum because if that's me as an adult and I'm having trouble going to sleep in a foreign bed in a foreign place with, you know, different sounds and different lights and I'm struggling with this cap on my head, what about for our our children and teens and adults on the spectrum who have even more sensory issues? How are we possibly saying that we're getting good data? Well, the researchers, Beth Ann Mallow, who's a professor of neurology and pediatrics at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, asked the question. She said, the question is, are you really getting a valid night's sleep under those conditions? I think we all know the answer to that. So, um, They did some studies on this and saw that if they really wanted to get good data, that they were going to have to change up how they were doing sleep studies. And what this article details is a bunch of different products that are what they call the nearable and wearables that can take data in your own bed at home. You can be, you can see the the person in the picture that there's a band. There are headphones, um, that if someone likes to sleep with headphones, there's a, there's a thing that you can wear on your chest. There's something that captures nearby all of these different things that they can do. So I'm not going to detail all of them in the companies. They should advertise with us. Um, But I want to tell you, if you have a child that's having, you or your child, your teen, your adult is having trouble with sleep issues, and this was the thing that prevented you from doing the study before, read this article and talk to your doctor about, is there one of these that would work for the person that you love in your life or for yourself, and see about getting that done, because honestly, uh, right? Uh, okay, so Spectrum News, check that out. Then our other um, article today comes from BBC, and I just found this amazing. It's going to make me emotional. I'm always amazed by the courage of parents um, and what they decide to do and how they decide to meet the need for awareness. So um, this is a piece on an Iraqi mom. Uh, I'm going to slaughter her name, but I, uh, I'm going to say it Shamai al-Hashimi, uh, has two children on the autism spectrum, 11 and 14. And in her community, um, did I say 11? 11 and 17, excuse me. Um, in her community, she's sick and tired of not having the awareness and the understanding for her children. And so she has done what a lot of parents have done over here. And she has taken to creating videos to be able to shed light on what her life is like in Iraq 
being the parent of these two wonderful human beings. And people are watching it, and, and it's amazing how this can heal a culture. Over the years, over the last 13 years, we've covered a lot of different locales around the world and, and how the cultures have reacted, places like Uganda, uh, places like Romania, where people were having to keep their children closed up in their home because the people in the village would not be accepting of them. I just love that she, I, I know that she is facing, facing a lot of backlash um, from people potentially around the world, but I, I want to speak out in support of her that by telling her truth, sharing her life, her life with these two wonderful human beings, it is going to shed light for other people to realize, okay, autism is an issue everywhere in the world, including Iraq, and that families are both struggling and celebrating, that you can see the love that she has for these two incredible human beings. So we celebrate her. Check out the whole article about what she is doing so that you can see her feed um, in the BBC. All right, that's our news for today. Our first interview up today is with the fabulous Angie Harrington. As I said earlier, she is one of the moms from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. She's done something bold and daring. After her youngest son, who is five years old, was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, she made the bold decision that it was time for her to not be doing a show and focus on helping her son through this period of time. I think you're going to find her remarkable. Here is my interview with Angie Harrington. Welcome back. Our next guest, you may already be a fan of, and I guarantee you, if you weren't already, you will be by the end of the interview. We're going to be joined right now by Angie Harrington. She is an amazing mom of three and has two additional children uh, from her husband's life before. Uh, so a total of five children, really. And she is no stranger to the neurodiverse community, but she's one of our newest members uh, as a parent of a child who has been diagnosed with autism. As I said, you may already be a fan because you may have seen her on The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which she recently made a hard decision and announced that she would be leaving the show because her youngest son has been officially diagnosed with autism. We're going to talk to her about what that was like getting a diagnosis at the tail end of COVID and what it was like leading up to it, plus all of the other things that she has going on in her family and what her plans are for the future. But let's welcome uh, an amazing, talented young woman, uh, Angie Harrington, to the program. Angie, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. We're so excited. We've been watching, and of course, we saw the announcement that you were going to be leaving the show. And I think for a lot of us who are also parents of neurodiverse individuals, our heart pulled. And I think the amount of respect we felt for you just went through the roof because, you know, you're a working woman doing a lot of different things. You're a fashion influencer. If people have not watched already, they should go to at Angie Harrington and take a look at your videos. I was saying to you before, you're a, you're beautiful. You're a Barbie. You can wear absolutely anything. <laughs> and watching you thank get you. dressed and layer it is exciting. Uh, oh, I'm learning from you. you. But, um, you know, you're working and then this thing comes along out of nowhere and you made the tough decision to say, I need to focus on my yeah. family and on my kids. 
so let's let's talk about that a little bit. What, how did this lead up? What were the signs that you were seeing? How was COVID impacting it? How did you eventually get to the diagnosis? So my son Hart was born in 2019, and he started walking at nine months and running very shortly after. And that was a very big surprise to my husband and I because our other children did not develop physically that fast. But then we noticed certain, so he he was very fast in that way, but we noticed other milestones he wasn't hitting, like speech or um, pointing at things that he needed or communicating that he needed something. And so we felt a little bit concerned, but as you know, all children develop at different times. So I think at the time we just thought, well, let's just watch it. And then during COVID, We took him into the pediatrician, and he recommended we see an autism specialist because his daughter, who was an adult, ironically, was just diagnosed with autism. And he thought, you know, there were small signs that we didn't notice, so I'm just kind of telling all my patients to take their children to be tested if they have any question. And so we did a Zoom meeting because it was during COVID, and the doctor, the specialist, watched him through the camera and picked up on some things but wasn't sure didn't feel comfortable making an official diagnosis then so we had to wait another year before we could take him into the office and that's where he was officially diagnosed within about two hours we had filled out a lot of paperwork but then right there in the office he said yep your son has mild to moderate autism and so from there we got in the car and i remember it was a very heavy feeling um simply because it was our new normal And I think we just needed a minute to adjust to that reality. Now that we've adjusted, you know, we celebrate it. There are definitely hardships, but there are things that will really work to his advantage with the diagnosis, we believe. And so it's still a learning curve. I mean, I don't, I think I will forever be a student of autism because I learn something new every single day. Well, I, you know, I I was saying to you earlier, my son turned 20 recently, and I feel the same way. Because just when I think I get a handle on something, he grows and he changes, and now I have something new to learn. So I love that attitude. I think it's the right attitude. You know, we talk about how there are so many different phases to when your child gets diagnosed, and that there is, for a lot of people, there's a period of grief and then they move yeah. on, they kick into action, um, but there might be some trailing grief. Do you have grief over the fact that it, that, that year that you lost after you went in to get the diagnosis, are you in a place where there is still grief about that, or have you been able to say, that's not useful to me, I'm going to move forward? You know, I did, I think, initially feel a little guilty. I think that's one of the hardest things about being a parent is the mom and dad guilt is real. And I just kind of felt like I wish I would have pushed it a little more. But at the same time, when he got diagnosed, he was still only three years old. So I I do feel like luckily we caught it young enough that um, we can really work with him and develop him and help him, you know, have a better chance at functioning in this neurotypical world. And I think that I think I'm still grieving in ways I've accepted it. But now it's the um, caretaker burnout. I mean, I cannot tell you how exhausted I am and how much I did not anticipate that. I, you know, I was a single mother. I, was, I would go to school full-time and work and dance, and I've always been a hustler and busy. 
And this has by far been the hardest chapter in my life. I, I highly underestimated how hard it was to be a caretaker of an autistic child. Yeah. And I want to say you're coming to us uh, live from Utah, where hustler means something different than it means other places. Mm-hmm. So I just right. Thank you for you're a dancer <laughs> and you danced for the Utah Jazz. You were a professional right. dancer and, yeah. and had you know, two boys of your own, then later you married and now you guys are a blended family. So he came in with two children and now you have the, the, the youngest child together, correct? Correct. So actually he came in with three children. We have six combined. Oh my gosh. So you really are a Brady Bunch. We're a Brady Bunch and very much a Utah Brady Bunch. There we go. We love it. Um, yeah, so we decided we wanted to have this. He had three three adult children when we got married, and I had my two younger teenage boys, and we decided we wanted to have a baby together. And kind of, we thought he would kind of be the glue for the family, which he is. And um, But what we didn't anticipate is that he would have neurodivergency. And it's interesting because we kind of had this ideal of what our life would be. You know, we were going to travel with our, with our, you know, because when you have a children later in life, the benefit is you're more established, you have more freedom and choices. And so we thought this child was going to be international and we were going to travel with him and he was going to go to Oxford and, you know, maybe those things will still happen, but life sure pivoted for us. And I think everything happens for a reason and you just never know. But I do believe whatever your divine power is, God, whatever that may be, they wouldn't give us this challenge if we couldn't handle it. And so I truly feel like this child was sent to us so we could grow. Um, I see Earth as, I call it Earth School. I think we're here to learn very specific lessons. And I can already see how much I've evolved as a person in the last year, and my husband as well. And I know when all is said and done, we will look back on this diagnosis as a blessing. And I don't mean for that to sound flippant, because I do know our child struggles, and nobody wishes that on their child. But I think you have to find the silver lining, or it can bury you. Absolutely. I think that you're looking at it in a very mentally healthy way. Um, And so people are going to ask, so talk to us a little bit about what avenues are you taking? What support are you getting now? What therapies have you decided to go with? And how is it going? So um, right now he is in ABA therapy. And his, pers- I believe they call it a prescription, is about seven hours a day. So we are in okay. the thick of it. Um, I have someone come in uh, pretty much full time every day. And it's, they push him. They push him pretty hard. I didn't realize that it, for him, I thought it would be more kind of, it is play therapy, but I didn't realize how much, how many markers he would be hitting and how much work it is to get there. So I think between the therapist and myself, we really try to sense if he's overstimulated. And about midday, he'll ask to go snuggle, which means we go upstairs in my bed, just he and I, I get him under the blankets. That tends to calm him down. And then um, by the end of the day, we kind of just give him a break. If he wants to take his clothes off, he can take his clothes off. If he wants to climb on the counter, I, I and maybe that's not the healthiest approach, but I also feel, you know, you got to trust your instincts as a parent. And I also feel like if I keep that black and white regimen routine, um, 
he's going to be overstimulated and unhappy. So I do try to give him a lot of those freedoms yeah. that um, the therapy does kind of not frown upon. I, I don't want to say frown upon, but, you know, I do try to give him a little bit more leeway. It's like a child coming home from school. You kind of let them do what they want yeah. for a little while. So we are doing that. And then um, our daughter-in-law just graduated in speech therapy. So she's going to come work with him on his speech. He is verbal. Uh, We do think he will be fully verbal. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of where it's headed. Yeah. And that was another thing I didn't realize that autism is different for everybody. You know, I kind of thought there was this one idea of what autism is and then it was either like a one out or a 10 on the spectrum but I didn't realize how many kind of different variations and how kids react to things differently not everybody's antisocial you know I just I I didn't understand what autism was and so um right now we're gonna put him in speech therapy because he is behind on his speech and then um I work a lot with I try to make sure I'm making uh healthy nutrition choices for him good so i do a lot of research on um foods that are great for neurodevelopment and i'll sneak i'll try to sneak them in popsicles now he's figured that out so now (laughs) i try to like mix it in ice cream because that's his favorite treat or you know i I, i'm constantly trying to get creative because the kid figures it out if it's the wrong color the wrong texture he's not having it so any of you moms that have advice on how to get your kids to eat those Broccoli sprouts and blueberries and everything. Oh, we've got all kinds of things for you. Got all kinds (laughs) of things for you. I would love that. Wonderful. And so was it, I guess the question we have to ask is, what was it like making the decision? Here you are, you're on this hit show. And I'm sure as a reality TV show, it's a little intrusive into your life. So I'm imagining that your family had made, had had a discussion and decided that this was okay to allow cameras into your home. But now you have your child diagnosed with something that's going to be as intensive as seven hours of therapy a day, plus other things. What yeah. Was it a hard decision? Was the whole family involved? Was it just you? What was that like making the decision saying, I'm going to step away? Yeah, good question. Yes and no, it was hard. I think I was a part-time cast member. I was cast as a part-time cast member on Housewives. Partly, uh, they that's because everyone gets cast that way, and then you kind of work your way up to full-time. Yeah. For me, I preferred part-time because my children were not interested in doing the show, and I was not going to push them. So I was lucky in the sense that the cameras weren't as intrusive because they weren't there filming my children. They were only filming me and the other girls. Uh-huh. And then um, occasionally my husband would come along if he chose to. Whereas the other girls, they're filming the family, they're filming the husband, they're filming everything. And so I, it wasn't a huge adjustment that way because I already was a part-time cast member, only filming mostly my interaction with the other women. Right. Um, But for me personally to make that choice, my husband was supportive either way. You know, luckily he's great that way. He just said, whatever makes you happy, I support. Um, So ultimately it came down to me and... I think I wrestled with it for about a month. Producers came back to me and said, we want you back season four. We would love to uh, potentially make you a full-time cast member. 
we want to follow Hart's autism journey because I had, ex- I had I had shared the news with them. Yeah. And we want to see what that's like. And I actually, you know, I thought actually it might be a good opportunity to kind of show the world what it's like to raise a child with autism. Yeah. Because it's no joke. It is yeah. really hard and demanding. And I think so many people could relate to that. So there was a part of me for the community that did want to do it. But I knew at the end of the day, because those shows have a lot of drama in them. Yeah. So much of my brain power would be in another place and not focused on my son. And I'm sure as, I don't want to speak for you, but as you know, and a lot of other parents with autistic children know, your brain power is pretty important when you're raising a kid with special needs. And I can barely function after 6 p.m. without filming the show, you know, just raising my children. And so I just didn't want something that was going to take me away from the healing and nurturing that heart required of me. Well, I think it's amazing and courageous and and wonderful. Um, I am going to say to you, I think that at some point somebody's going to come back and say, hey, we'd like to do this, sh- a, a different show, just showing this. And, and that maybe in a year's time when things, when you see a little bit more about how much progress he's going to make, you might be in that mode. So I hope you're doing home movies as much as possible right now, because those are going to be critical when you do that. Um, that's, that's good. That's actually good advice. And I've had conversations with people often ask me, would you ever go back to Housewives? And, you know, never say never. No, you're going to get I, your own show, Angie. That you're done with that, you're going to get your own show, so you don't need that. I, li- I like that, and I, I would like to produce it, so I have final edit as well, Shannon. There you go. Let's I'm sure that that, that can happen. Well. Let's put that out into the universe. I believe in that. Um, and we, I said today. earlier that you're no stranger to neurodiversity. Um, it's very touchy, but I don't know if you want to disclose that there are other people in the family, not not with an autism diagnosis, but neurodiverse. Are you, do you want to talk about that for yourself and others? Sure, absolutely. Our family is filled with neurodivergency, myself included. I have ADHD. My two teenage sons have ADHD. Their father has ADHD. My husband's um, oldest son, born daughter, now son, is transgender. So he believes there could be some neurodivergency there that's undiagnosed because typically the members of the trans community do have neurodivergency. So our family is riddled with it. And so it's kind of this beautiful mess of brains that come together and show each other unconditional love because we're so different. We have to accept each other. You know, if we're going to function as a family, we have to accept everybody and whatever they're dealing with. And so, you know, I think my husband's probably the only neurotypical one. (laughs) <laughs> and he's kind of the glue. <laughs> he's the odd man out. That's okay. I, I do think that, that... He solves all our problems. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that one of the things that's going to be autism, uh, that, helpful with autism is that they're going to teach you guys strategies that are also going to help with ADHD that everybody's going to benefit from. So I think, And I think having already done the strategies that you've done are going to help as you go back to treating the autism uh, I think it's going to be a very symbiotic thing. But you also yeah. have been no stranger to talking about the fact that you, like a lot of us, deal with anxiety on a regular basis. 
Do you want to talk yeah. about that just a little bit? Because sure. I know that there are probably moms watching right now looking at you and thinking, yeah, but this lady's nothing. Her insides are nothing like mine. Because um, you look like you have it all together, right? And we mistakenly think that that means this person is not struggling with anxiety. But can you talk to us a little bit about your personal anxiety? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's probably why I look like I have it all together because I know I don't. You know, there's a chance I'm subconsciously masking because I know my brain is really stressed out a lot of the time. I grew up with anxiety and I just remember always feeling like I had this ball in my throat and I couldn't swallow and I would go to school thinking I was going to throw up. And, you know, I didn't understand at the time that was anxiety because it wasn't as talked about. Um, when I was a child, I knew my grandmother had it. I knew it ran heavily in my family. I, there was never a conversation that I had it until I was probably 12 years old and I went to summer camp with the church I was involved in at the time. And I couldn't function away from my mother. Like, it was debilitating. All these other girls were, like, enjoying it, canoeing crafts, and I would just, like, a ball of nerves get me home get me in the environment I'm comfortable with. And every single year, for three years I went to that camp, I would fake sick. I put my head by the fire to convince the camp leader I had a fever so I could go home. I mean, I think that's when my mom put it together that, yeah, I think you got anxiety and I think we need to do something about it. So, yeah, it's all, I, I deal with it all the time. I'm an insomniac because my brain doesn't shut off. You know, you lay down at night and, all those thoughts are racing in your head about how you're not doing this enough, you're not doing that enough. And then we added in Hart's autism diagnosis, and I feel like a failure probably five times a week. I mean, I'm not kidding you. And I know I'm a good mother. I know I give my very all and my very best, but I still feel like I'm somebody, whether it's my husband, whether it's my teenagers, whether it's the baby, whether it's myself and my career. I just feel spread so thin and like I'm never going to get it right. And it is such an overwhelming feeling sometimes, you know, I, at the end of the day, I'm sometimes I'm a puddle of tears because I just feel, you know, it is so exhausting trying to figure out everybody's neurodivergency and what they need, including mine. And so it's, it's something that is really forcing me to grow, but you know what, it nearly kills me. Well, I, I just have to say that, you know, there's this phrase that we say, welcome to the community of people that you never thought you wanted to belong to, but once you get here, you're going to find it's filled with really amazing people. Yeah, so welcome to our community. Uh, now you're one of the amazing people. I love that you are using your platform to shed light. It's so appreciated. It's not necessary. I want you to know that nobody has that expectation on you, but it's appreciated. But we are also here for you as a community. The viewers here and the whole autism community, myself, Dr. Grant Pichet, we're all here for you. We've been down this path, many of us. Some people are right where you are. I got to tell you, I give you an A+. I think you're hitting it out of the park. I think, you know, I, I was afraid you, you were going to tell, when you said seven, I thought you were going to tell me seven hours a week of therapy, and I was going to tell you, uh-uh-uh, you got to have more than that. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think it's great that when therapy is over that you're letting him climb on the cabinets because, you know, he's a physical kid and you need to give him a physical outlet. And 
a lot of times with ABA, the thing that gets said is that people think, oh, well, it has, we need consistency. Well, but what is the consistency? It's not necessarily that one-on-one thing. It's the consistency of being in an educationally enriched environment. So letting him physically climb on the cabinets, I'm going to tell you, you're hitting it out of the park, Angie. That's perfect. Let him do that. He's got to have, you know, work his yayas out. That'll help him (laughs) with anxiety. So I think you're doing a great job. But we're here if you, when you, there are going to be things that you encounter along the way, because is he going to school yet? No. In fact, that was another big sign we needed to get him tested again, because I took him to regular preschool and this was before his diagnosis and it was clear as day he was not like the other kids more than ever and that's when I was like I just remember calling my husband and being like daddy he's different he is not like the other kids he doesn't just go sit on the line and listen to a book he was into all the teacher stuff while the other kids were at the table just coloring and I remember feeling like I was the failure like somehow my parenting was lacking because he wasn't doing what the other kids were doing. So in a way, his diagnosis was somewhat of a relief and made so much sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, yeah. but you know, eventually he is going to go to school and you're going to have yeah, questions. And there are lots of different things, but know that we're all here. We're part of Thank your community you. now and we'll help you to support. And I'm sure that people will be writing in diet things and support. And I said to you earlier, I'm going to get my book sent off to you so that you can see, because I just wrote everything that I learned into a book and went there. Uh, so we'll get, we'll get my book off to you, but you, but uh, you're really doing really well. So Thank you. Just, and it's never meant more to hear I'm doing a good job than right now. Well, I mean, you are. I cannot tell you. Thank you. You are. And and you're able to get your hair done like this because there, there are a lot of like I <laughs> I was doing really good at some things, but I couldn't get the laundry done and I couldn't get my hair to look like that. Still can't. So, <laughs> well, you know. I went to the hairdresser today. I just happened <laughs> to be my hair day, so this is good time. <laughs> well, there you go. I recently <laughs> shaved my head on the show to raise money for iPads, so I get a pass for no at least way. a couple of That's months. That's amazing. <laughs> so, Very cool. Uh, so, I, you know, nobody can tease me about my hair because I did it for iPads, so there we go. Um, there you go. But anyway, <laughs> uh, such a pleasure to meet you. Congratulations on everything that you're getting done. And I think you're going to be amazed at how well he's going to do and all the things. I think he probably is going to go to Oxford or to someplace <laughs> else that's even better for him. So for sure. it's all going to Thank work out. I, it says Thank the ghost so of much. Christmas future. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> having been there, done that, you know, I, I mean, I, I know in the beginning I thought, oh, I remember going to the park and seeing other families there with their kids and the teenagers were just running around and, and doing stuff with each other. And I remember thinking, we'll never have that. We are never going to have that. And we absolutely had that. We absolutely had that. And so much more. So sky's the limit. He's going to teach you. He's going to teach all of us. And, but you're doing all the right things. So thank you, dear. I appreciate it. You are. He's going to be he's going to be fabulous. And the fact that he is already talking and he's getting that much therapy, he is going to be fully verbal. Statistically, that's a thing. Yeah. Okay. great. That's great to hear. And see, I learn something new every day. Yeah. 
the, the used to be that it was like 18% of the autism community would get fully verbal and the rest were not, right? Um, and now that number has flipped dramatically and now it's maybe 16% of the autism community does not become fully verbal. And those children more often than not have something called apraxia, which means that at this point they would not be able to produce words. So if he's producing words and you're getting good therapy, there's no reason to think that he would not be fully verbal. Um, so you're, you're doing all the right things. Oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, stay in touch. Let us know when you need Thanks. something. And we'll look forward, you know, about this time next year, you will have your own show. Oh. That's going to happen. I mean, we'll see. Okay. All right. Let's go. And uh, and we will look forward to that. But do take the home movies because when, when you go to produce it, you're going to need those to show where you started. No, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Give everybody in your family a hug from us, all right? Of course. Likewise. All right. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. What a remarkable mom. Isn't she an inspiration, you guys? Uh, truly wonderful. And we'll look forward to having her back in, in future years to hear the progress of how everybody is doing. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to be back with more of Autism Live after these messages. Stick with us. Wasn't she amazing? And we've got so little time to squeeze this last interview in that I, we didn't have time to go to a commercial. Um, but she was wonderful, wasn't she? And um, I, I want to say for our next interview, we're going to Tasha Rollins. You'll see that we filmed this a couple of weeks ago, so I have a lot less hair. Um, but amazing mom in her own right, too, with an amazing book out. So take a look. Tasha Rollins. Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm so excited to welcome our next guest on the show because she did something so now I don't have to. <laughs> I have threatened. Those of you who watch the show uh, know that we love to do jargon of the day here where we make fun. We take an actual autism term and we try to break it down and make it user friendly. But what I actually do is make fun of the actual term. And I've said forever, someone needs to write a book, don't make me do it, that explains all these autism terms to you. Well, my next guest did it. So I love this. And if you ever want to have a place where you can go to be able to have all of these terms that we, we talk about and more, boy, she was really comprehensive about it, you're going to want her book. The name of the book, uh, I want to make sure that I get it right, is Autismology an autism dictionary, and it's relatively new, just came out in December. So right now we're welcoming Tasha Rollins. She happens to be a licensed professional counselor in South Carolina. She is the owner of Rollins Counseling, LLC. In 2018, she started the Autism in Action podcast to help families connect with autism resources, services, and support. Tasha also enjoys serving the community as an autism advocate and has served as a volunteer for the Champion Autism Network and has worked with Lead with Love Training Company as a safety plan coordinator. Tasha is a public speaker and a published author, obviously. Her newest book, we are so excited about, Autismology, uh, is from Future Horizons, which is also where my book is from. I'm very excited that she's here. She also loves adventure, uh, traveling, nature, and spending time with her family. It should be noted 
that she is the mom of four children and two of whom are now adults on the autism spectrum. So Tasha, welcome. Thank Thank you so much for having me. You're like my twin sister because you don't know this, but I walk around always with a pair of glasses on my head. Yes. (laughs) I usually have two, but today's just one. Oh, there you go. That's funny because for the first time the other day, I've started wearing glasses for reading too. So for the first time I had two in my hair and I was like, I can't handle it. Well, I have very little hair at the moment, so it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) But Tasha, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited about your book. Talk to us a little bit about it uh, and and why you made the decision to do this, aside from saving me time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again for having me today. This is really a passion project that took four years in the making, and it honestly started with just kind of, you know, randomly finding different terms. Every time I would run across a website, I would see different ones. Um, I would go to look for something. I would have a really hard time getting different definitions from different places. And even in having different conversations with family members, um, you know, I was trying to share a little bit of autism literacy, given that I do have two young adults on the spectrum at home. And, um, you know, it makes it easier if you have uh, something to reference, like the book you know, uh, the dictionary to, to share that information. So I really wanted something that I could share with my family members. I wanted something that I could use as a professional resource with different colleagues, you know, working along, um, alongside autism spectrum disorder in the office. And then also from an academic standpoint, um, you know, helping additional uh, professionals learn more about autism and literacy. I love this. And, and you touched on this a little bit, but let's talk about, because People might look at this and have an assumption, okay, well, first of all, this is a very useful book for a parent um, Mm -hmm. because it is. But as as you said, it's got so many different uses for it. It's it's just barely been out since December. But what are you hearing from professionals about this book? Are they using it for themselves? Are they handing it to parents or both? I think it's a combination of both. Um, Oftentimes when parents are new, they get a new diagnosis with their child. You know, they don't really know where to start. And there's so much information. It can be very overwhelming. And this really kind of serves as a little field guide to help point you in the right direction of to get a little bit of common knowledge behind that with the terminology. Yeah. And so a mom of four um, and, and two of them on the spectrum, both of them adults right now, is this something that you wish you had had when your kids were first diagnosed? Oh, absolutely. Yes. It would have served as, it's okay, uh, uh, I guess, a permission slip. It's okay to talk about autism because you're talking two decades ago, you know. Um, things were very, very different in the world of autism then versus now. And so often, you know, I experience it this way. You know, you you want to be a good on it parent and you're, talking with people, you get the diagnosis. And I felt like it was this deluge of just terms. Like I almost, it, looking back on it, it makes me angry that professionals thought that I would just know what these terms meant. And, and when you're paying by the minute to be talking to specialists, you don't want to be asking them, can you please explain what you meant when you said that term, right? So you feel... right. Behind the eight ball, and and it really becomes a brain drain and a and a bank account drain 
to not yeah. know what terms mean. And when you get handed that report full of the terms, you know, that has a bunch of different diagnosis or different recommendations on there, um, not having that accurate understanding can lead to a lot more confusion. And we definitely don't want that for families. Now, I had said before, I do jargon of the day and I make fun of, I put an actual definition, make fun of it, and then we move to a really working definition. But when I first saw your book and I saw how thorough it was, I was blown away because you have terms in there that we've never done. Um, But also, you know, it's so professional in that you're not making fun of anybody, which I really appreciate, but you know, that's my flavor. Um, But the terms are so accessible. What did you do to help yourself to make sure that it was written in a way that people could pick it up? and look up a definition and not have to pick up four other textbooks to figure out what the definition means. I had a lot of collaborators (laughs) helping me kind of go through this, Um, researching through the definitions, you know, picking out the ones that we felt um, really truly relevance based or that could be researched and put in Um, cross-referencing different professional organizations, you know, the glossary list and all the different things that you can find online just to ensure that it was something that could be easily digested and easily understood. Yeah. I sort of feel like it needs to be on everybody's bookshelf. I I started to say every parent's bookshelf, but the truth of the matter is I also wish the professionals would buy this because here's the other thing that I run into. I love me some autism professionals but I get a little fatutzed at them when they start talking in all their jargon speak, when they know that they're talking to parents. And I, I went through something a year ago where I, I got very fatutzed with a professional that I didn't know. So I didn't have this bond with them. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, you're talking to parents. Can you please use words that we understand? And he said, well, you know, mm-hmm. it's really difficult. And I got very offended by that I, I because I... If there was, if you said to me, I don't know how to put it in terms that are professional, I would go, oh, okay. But nobody was born knowing all the professional terms. So if you truly understand no. the science of what you're doing, you should be able to explain it. And I got very fatutzed. But then many professionals have come to me and said, but it is actually really hard for us. We think of things in this very specific way, and it's almost like we've forgotten the words to say, and, and we're so busy thinking about something else that it's literally like translating back into another language. I yes. think this book is useful for them to keep on their shelves so that when they're explaining something to a parent, if they come up upon a term that the parent asks them, they should whip this book out, read the definition together, and then further discuss. So I think it should be on the parent's bookshelf. I think it should be on the professional's bookshelves. And they should be using it. Do you, do you agree? I 100% agree. Absolutely. And I think it would definitely help bridge that gap of that literacy there, that misunderstanding when they're trying to communicate uh, with families, especially newly diagnosed families. Yes, because those are the people that are the most overwhelmed, underslept, yes. and, and hungry to know what is it that we're talking about here, but can you put it in terms that I can possibly understand without getting an advanced degree by tomorrow? Absolutely. And this puts it all in one place. You know, you don't have to 
go from one website to another website to another website. I did all of that for you making the book. So, you know, we, we really, truly, I, I just wanted something in one place that could offer a sense of reassurance that, Hey, I've got it right here. All I have to do is open it up and turn to it and find it. You know, Amazing. so where do we get it? Anywhere. <laughs> it's online at all the major retailers. Amazon included the Future Horizons website, uh, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, all the, the big places. Absolutely love it. And if people want to know more about you and your story and your family's story, where would they go? Uh, you can go to TashaRollins.com. That's my business website. Uh, there's an About Me tab and a few other different um, resources on there as well. Amazing. Tasha, thank you so much for what you're doing. I hope to run into you sometime at a conference and, uh, and, and connect because I really, really appreciate this book. Um, I think it's so useful and I'm so glad that you did it. And you did it thank really well. So I'm a fan. I am very grateful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You take care. We're going to be too. back with more Autism Live after these messages. Stick with us. Welcome back. So two amazing moms uh, that joined me on today's show. So excited that you guys were here for that. I hope that you will share what you found here today. We're going to be back tomorrow. Traven gave me a piece of paper and I, Traven, it's like I, I lose them. There it is. Okay. So tomorrow, stories from the spectrum. Uh, we're, we're going to be replaying the episode that there's a wonderful video, especially um, by a young man named Vincent about eye contact that I want you guys to check out. Then on Friday, we're going to be replaying our Let's Talk Movies, the episode where Moira and I reviewed the Cocaine Bear movie. Uh, and if you didn't see that, you really should tune in to see how much I did not love that movie. Uh, watch the top of my head fly around the room and, and poor Elizabeth Banks. I say things that are not nice. Not nice at all, but I stand by them. Uh, okay. So much love to you guys. And I also mentioned to you that we will not be here on Monday. We're going to be playing an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. Elise, uh, Alicia, don't we all need that book? No kidding. Uh, I said, everybody needs to have that on their bookcase because it's super duper handy. And, um, but we're not going to be here on Monday, but we will be back here with Dr. Grampy Shea on Tuesday. And we've got a big show planned for you on Wednesday. And then we have another Let's Talk Movies that I believe is happening. I think it's happening live. I'm not sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, lots and lots of fun. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.